you were asked a question, uh, who would you think of? Someone, individual, couple, who just absolutely lives out this love expression of the relationship with God, abiding in him, who would you first talk about? Well, the Lord's brought several of those uh, families in my life over the years, one of which is Leon and Winoma Shoemaker. I've mentioned them before. You don't meet too many Winomas in these day and time, nor Leons, I guess, uh, that you meet. But they were at First Baptist Church in Joplin. And so in 1992, when I started going back and forth between SBU uh, to Joplin, I uh, enjoyed serving as a student pastor, what became a summer position initially, then turned into a fall and spring that turned into the next summer. And and so in the process of that, after being there for just a tad under a year, Easter of the next year, 92, uh, they asked, hey, would you want to just stay with us uh, in the summers? And uh, when you come back and forth on Wednesdays, if you need a place to stay. And, and so I said, I'd, I'd love to do that. I'd love that opportunity to be able to stay with you. My parents were there that weekend, so it was really a special setup. And so here this couple, my parents' age, invited me into their home, had my own room uh, towards the back of the house. And then for the next uh, near four years, two years going back and forth between school and then two years after that, just being in Joplin, being part-time, I lived with them. So in the process of that, what I saw in their lives was this love lived out, not only for their own family, but, but for people. Two people who truly abided in Jesus and to this day, I still consider their example as a married couple in the way they loved each other, in the way they loved their kids and grandkids in spite of, and in loving people in general, has so affected my life that I still try to model out, especially who they were in, in, those, in those areas. In fact, uh, their house was so unique, um, small little place kind of out in the country, uh, a couple of gardens. He had an upper garden, a lower garden. One of the things Leon liked to do, which I, as a 23-year-old <laughs> at that point, began to love to do too, was um, just to sit and watch the Weather Channel. So if you're a Weather Channel person, you know that there are times when the only thing on the screen is the wind speed, the temperature, and it's a static picture of the same music that plays over and over and over again. And I I loved doing that with Leon. There was just something about being there, just abiding with him in, in that. They were a very unique couple, very special, uh, very special to me and still are to this day. In fact, about two weeks into COVID, Winoma called me and said, hey, how are things going for your family? How are you guys are doing? And so really, I was an honorary shoemaker. You know people like that as well. Well, the theme of John's letter that he spent so much time in, about 25% of it, focuses on love and this idea of abiding in Christ and him coming through their lives. Last week, we evaluated three questions related to where we were with him. And this week, we're going to look at three different questions that I think will really be a big help to us. But before we really start diving in, uh, let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll read the passage, and we'll start to, to go forward. God, we say thank you for this morning and for uh, these wonderful worship songs that we've already engaged you in. Lord, we thank you for the way that you love us. It's unquestionable. It's uncompromising. It's based on you and how you display your love to us, the ways we 
know that, realize that in our lives and this undeniable grace that you have for us. And so as we look at what John penned so long ago this morning, I pray that you would help us as we continue in our series this morning, in particular with these questions we're going to look at, and God, that you would move and work in this time. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 John 4, 11 through 21, we're going to read through the passage, and then we're going to come back and, and spend some time through each one of the verses, hopefully identifying some things differently maybe than what we've considered before with these verses. Let's begin with verse 11 in chapter 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother." So verse 11, let's read that one more time and then talk about that for just a moment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So here we see this challenge from John for us once again, again, as, as 25% of this letter focuses on this aspect of loving God, loving people, abiding and resting in God. He tells us once again that if we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we've surrendered our lives to him, that we too, in the way God loved us, we should love people. It's a little bit easier at times to do that in the context of the church, the people of God, who also claim to be followers of Jesus, who walk with him, who know him. There's a commonality that we share there as far as relationship with him. There are aspects of our lives relationally that we can talk about, we can dialogue about uh, this, this so precious letter in particular, First John talk about that and about the ins and outs of what that means and practically what that can be applied to in our lives. And then we also think of, however, those whom, whom we know that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And we, as well as loving those who know Jesus, are called to, challenged to, love those as well who don't yet have a relationship with him, including in verse 10, if we go back just one verse, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. He was the sacrifice for us that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, our sin at that time is cast upon Jesus. Of course, all the sin of the world taken upon himself. And then we, in repenting, turn away from our old life, coming into a relationship with him. Our sin is forgiven. We have a relationship with him. And so in that time, even at our ugliest, as we talked about last week, God loved us in spite of. And we too are to love those around us whom yet have to surrender their lives 
to Jesus. So we see this need, this balance for us to love people in general, just as God did. Followers of Jesus and those who are yet to find him. We see that challenge. And then we go into verse 12. And we really see something that is a a breathtakingly stunning observation for us. Something that we've not considered necessarily like this before. Let's, Let's read it. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, when we consider the first part of that verse, no one has ever seen God. We understand that. We think back to Old Testament. We think of Moses who, the burning bush, saw the residuals of God, could not see God. If he would have, then uh, his life uh, would have been immediately taken at that moment. We can't see the face of God and live in our current state. We also think of Job, who uh, saw this whirlwind, this this tempest where uh, God's presence resided, but he didn't specifically or or directly see the face of God. We think of Isaiah in the Old Testament and how he saw uh, high and lifted up, God high and lifted up, Uh, And he couldn't as well see the face of God. It was from a distance, and even the angels at that time didn't look on the face of God. So we understand this statement that John made is not something new, that we cannot see with our direct eyes the face of God and live. Uh, But the flip side of that, seeing God, there's a term called theophany, and that is actually seeing God with the naked eye. Again, considering Old Testament examples, considering where we are today, we understand that no one can see God, specifically his face with the naked eye and live. But then rereading verse 12, maybe that's not of a surprise to us. Maybe we've already known that. No one has ever seen God. But then we see this this second part. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So this theophany, seeing God with the naked eye, Consider this, for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we obviously don't become Christ's or God or Jesus. There is only one creator, God. We are created beings. When we surrender our lives to him, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so he lives in our lives, lives in our hearts. But when we are practically the love of God to people, followers of Jesus and those who don't yet know him. We are theophany, in essence, to those around us, that they can see God's love through us, him acting in, driving through, living through us in our words, our attitudes, and our actions. They can literally see the presence of God by the way that we funnel and function with people. That's the stunning observation. Do we realize that When we're driving down the highway, whether people can hear us or not, that practically we are the expression of God to believers and lost people alike. Do we realize that when we go into the grocery store and we have interaction? That we are, in essence, responsible to so love people that when they interact with us and see us and have contact with us, that they should see God living through us as if Jesus were living in our place. Remember that phrase? We should be living in such a way that if Jesus were living in our place, there would be no difference. That's a challenge, hardcore challenge for us. It's also a great opportunity. The Bible talks about 
our desire, our need to, first and foremost, love God, second, love people, regardless of where they are with him. And so in essence, when people come into contact with us, they have the opportunity to see God. You get the point. He is saying in this, this this relationship that we have with him, that we should so be abiding relationally in him, that when people merely come into contact with us, they should see there's something different. Of course, that's difference we know is the Lord. And then we find our first test, uh, verse 13. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves, is the love that we have equal to the truths that we hold? Uh, the truths, singular, truths, plural, that we hold. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now, it may seem that John in this verse is kind of taking it a different direction. Again, he draws in the word abiding. and Actually, the, the abiding in Christ and this love relationship we have with him and the love relationship we have with others flows together. In, in my mind and heart, those two are inseparable. As we walk through this life, those are so interwoven in who we are relationally with God and with people that those two uh, just, just can't help but to intersect. They are the same. They are, they are how we live our lives out. As we abide in him and he in us, we know the spirit lives in us, resides in our lives. That should impact the way that we see life, that we see people. In verses 14 and 15, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And so we, we clearly see in this, as far as the truth that we hold, that once we have surrendered our lives to him, we are his. That will take us to our next question our next spot in just a moment but we have to consider this all perspective john three sixteen, best known verse of all time for god so loved the world all that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life and then we go on to verse 17 for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him we see the reality of salvation in the person of Jesus who was by definition truth. And so we have to ask ourselves, as Jesus walked and interacted and lived, especially in that three and a half years that we have record of in the Gospels, is our life authentically as his was in the way we approach people, life? Do we by the truths that we say we hold to, display that truth in the same way that he did in the extreme love that he showed people? Okay, that's the first question. Second, uh, bridges us to verse 17, is the love we have the same as close to the confidence that we possess? Look at verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. I can still remember entering into a relationship with Jesus that first year, a lot of ups and downs, probably similar for you, depending on when you came to Christ, if you came into a relationship with him. There were just moments when it was just like, I just feel the real presence of the Lord, and I'm walking, and I'm growing, and then there are moments when you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. And so as a part of that, when that sin or the struggles would enter, 
part of it would be for me, I wonder if I'm really saved. You may have never had that question before after your salvation, but there were moments for me, in particular that first year, when I wondered, oh my gosh, am I really his? Because I was basing my actions, putting my actions together, thinking there was a way that, that I could earn my way or there were, there were actions that I could actually do that would help me be more favorable in God's sight than I already was. Not really realizing or recognizing the fact that we are in him and that once we surrender our lives to him, that God sees either the blood of Jesus covering our sin or not. That we're either his or not. It doesn't have anything to do with our performance. Our society is so performance geared in this. That naturally that at times becomes a part of our process. And so I wondered, am I really saved? And then we're going to look at a verse here again in a few weeks. One of the first ones I memorized to help me in this confidence area. I write these things to you, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. One of those, those confidence, those assurance that, I, that I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit that when that happens, salvation can't leave me. He's the one who did the work. I don't have anything to do with that outside of surrendering my life. Now, obviously, I should be growing closer in relationship with him, but you see the difference. And so in that, I would talk to my student pastor over and over again. Man, I'm struggling. I would talk to my parents. And the response to me basically every time was a question. Well, did you in that moment surrender your life to Jesus? Did you encounter the living God? Did you give your life to him? And I would say, well, well, yes. Well, then why are you wondering? If you really believe that that happened in your life and we've seen the evidence of him in your life, then why would you wonder or concern? So, so where's that coming from? Well, obviously, that's coming from the enemy. Not only the one who tries to distract non-believers from surrendering their lives by putting a lot of different things in place and who distorts scripture like we've seen all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 with Eve where he distorted God's words. God didn't really say, did he? And then how he uses that in the lives of those now, even followers of Jesus. God really didn't say, did he, that you can be confident in your assurance of your salvation. You can't really be confident in your faith, can you? But the Bible says that God doesn't want us to wonder. He wants us to know. And so we have to ask, where does our confidence rest? In the person of Jesus or in our flesh? If it's in our flesh, we're in trouble. If it's actually in the person of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross, we can have confidence. And listen, love is a risk. We know that, isn't it? We can't modify or manipulate or make people love us the way that we would necessarily like to. We can't control the aspects of the lives of people where they can believe as we do on everything or, or, or actually modify their lives to adjust to us. That, that's not the point of, of, of life. I don't want someone to control me or try to modify me in a way that I have to love in a particular way. I just want to love like Jesus loved. And that's all based on the Holy Spirit working in my life towards others. And if I'm doing that effectively, uh, God is lifted up and he's praised. But, but there is risk that even though that we love to the deepest core, will in return hate us. I, ma I made the mistake this morning. Uh, when I got up, I thought, I'm going to check out the news. <laughs> uh, big mistake. My gosh, what's happening in our world related to Jesus and the church just in the United States? Have you been watching? 
Now, it may just be a short season where that drifts and falls away. We shouldn't be surprised at what's happening and at this image or picture of who Jesus has been painted to be and how the world is so negatively responding and reacting against that along with everything else. The disdain for followers of Jesus, the hatred that's flowing from comments. We shouldn't be surprised and maybe it's just a season and maybe this one will drift or maybe it'll continue. I don't know, but there is definitely a drive against people being committed to Jesus, which boggles my brain. The personification of love in a person. The lover of our souls. No one has greater love than this, than one give his life, which is exactly what Jesus did for us. How can people hate that? That man. The person who saved my life. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. They would just open up their eyes. If they would just open up their hearts and ears, they would see that he loves them and cares about them, and he has a life plan for them that would be amazing. You understand exactly what I'm talking about because you see it too. It's the love that we have equal to this confidence we possess. It's the love we have equal to the love that we share. Oftentimes, when our confidence is shaken, it's because of fear. Remember the acrostic I shared with you a long time ago? Fear. False evidence appearing real. Fear. That's when we think something's going to happen or there's going to be an outcome. It's a lot worse than what we expect. And so as a result, we cower back and we don't respond or we don't act. We don't love. We don't obey. Whatever it is, false evidence appearing real. What's the reality? What's the truth? 2 Timothy 1.7. You know that verse? That would be a great one for all of us to memorize. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, false evidence appearing real, but of power and a love and of self-discipline. What's he saying? You can have so much confidence in Jesus that you don't have to cower back. And then, verse 18, one of my favorites. So we have now come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. That's verse 16. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What is John saying? He's saying this. The lover of the greater dispels the lover of the lesser. What does that mean? The more deeply we fall in love with God, the more we abide in him, the more this fear falls away. And then we can not only live out this Jesus in us perfect love for others, him through us, because that's the only way that can happen, but we too can have confidence in our faith and we can continue to plow ground and not to have fear and cower in the corner. It's one of the reasons we need to spend time with him, in his word, in prayer, with other followers of Jesus, in worship, in fasting, in solitude, all of the pieces that come along with that, why we engage in some of those ways to draw closer to him so this fear can be dispelled out of our lives. Have you ever met somebody that doesn't fake confidence? It's just somebody who knows that they are firmly secure in Jesus and how much of an encouragement it is to see that individual live their life out as an example for us. It's a huge encouragement. You can be that individual for others. In fact, I would say this, God has called you to that. We get confused sometimes about occupations and about this and that and 
Do you realize that any job that you have, whether it be a school student, any occupation is a holy calling of God in your life and that you are called to this life of love for him and for people in it? Do we really see it that way? The love we claim has to be the same as the love we share. And then we see verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We should never get this confused. He loved us first. 2,000 years ago at our ugliest and worst, Jesus died on the cross for us. At creation, before then, he loved us. He knew we would be here. We then, in response, love him. Verse 20, and this is that stark. Thank you, John, once again for bringing this to us. Statement. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Okay, thank you. We've seen this like 15 times already in this letter. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we in our world see this people trading uh, the truth of God for lies all the time. And so... Instead of worshiping the creator, they begin to worship created things or creation itself. And so the creator gets removed, and we see all of these things happen in life. And so they, they make the truths of God in their own mind and what they communicate as, as lies when in actuality those, those are, are truth. We, we, we know God from what we read from what he's given us in his word about what truth is. And so we have the responsibility to continue to communicate, to share that love. But are our lives so impacted by the, the grace and mercy and love of God that we too, in all of our channels of relationship, have that love flowing through us, his love flowing through us. Think of your social media page. This is plural. Uh, think of the way you interact with your neighbors grocery stores, schools, work, all, all of where you relate to people. Could it be said of you, by believers and non-believers alike, could it be said of me, that my life is so much like Jesus that it's as if he were living in my place because of the intensity of love that we have and display and show towards people. And because of the grace that we give, we all have work to do. I never tire of the phrase, we are works in progress, every one of us. We are all in this, on the potter's wheel like I talked about last week, we're all getting chipped away. Things in our lives prayerfully becoming more like Jesus and less like the world and less like ourselves. But, but the reality of that is can people tangibly see the love of God in us for all? Okay, quick exercise in your mind. Think of the person whose name comes up and makes your skin crawl. <laughs> we, we all have it, right? Every one of us have those names, whether you know them or not. Could be a public figure, could be someone you come into a relationship with, could be somebody who's burned you from long, I don't know. But that, but that person that absolutely just their name is spoken, and you're like, holy cow. Man, I, you know. And then think of the person that can do no wrong. 
the person that you love no matter what. And the person you're like, man, that, that is, that's it. John is challenging us in saying that, that it shouldn't be like this. Those individuals should be on equal footing. In the way we love them and respond to them and care about them so much so, the Holy Spirit working in our and through our lives, that we love all of them equally, just as Jesus did, separated or not. That's what John's challenging us to do. So that real challenge, how are we doing on that one? Oh man, I fail every day at that. I just full transparency. Walking through Target, seeing something happen, oh, some name from the past pops into mind, oh, political figure. <laughs> Somebody who wants to blow up whatever of Jesus, oh. Works in progress. And he's got work to do in our lives in that. Every one of us. Will we allow him to continue to do the work? Let's pray.